Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements or anything, so let's jump in and see what we got. Starting us off is kind of an interesting vinyl pre-order. The Classic Gamers Guild has teamed up with Two Guys Records to launch a crowdfunding campaign for a 7-inch vinyl record that has certain songs from Freddie Farkas and Laura Botu with cool new artwork and different editions and different extras all put together on a vinyl for $26. And they're doing it so they have to hit a minimum of 100 orders, and if they don't, the project doesn't get funded, and I think everybody just gets refunded. But it's kind of interesting, because this isn't just a full soundtrack of any of these games. They're just kind of select songs from each with different additions to them. So it's kind of unique and different. Um, I guess if you're already into this stuff and you're you're a fan of the games and the music, then this is probably pretty exciting. I wasn't really aware of, of this whole uh, this whole project, and it was kind of confusing at first, but the more I read into it and with Crystal's help, I kind of really have a different appreciation for it. It seems different and unique, and uh, I think if you're into this stuff, that it's at the very least worth checking out. Um, or if not, that's cool too, but I'm definitely a fan of, of weird and interesting stuff. Jimmy Hoppe just released the first video in a new series he's been working on that showcases video game-focused VHS tapes. So basically, back in the late 80s and early 90s, many of us around the world probably remember promos that came on VHS tapes. I certainly remember them just floating around everywhere from game stores to... I had friends that had video game magazine subscriptions where it would occasionally come with a VHS tape. And Jimmy's been focusing on the Japanese VHS tapes. And it's kind of an interesting look at both the differences in games for, uh, as far as you know the gaming culture goes and kind of a look into how things were presented in the 90s. It's just a really interesting themed uh, video that I thought was a very cool idea and I really wanted to, to share it with all of you. So I asked Jimmy if he wouldn't mind doing a post up on Retro RGB, just kind of make it easier. But I thought this was really cool and I think that a lot of people might even if you're not super into Japanese gaming, I think this is kind of a cool little look into what that was like. And I'm really looking forward to the rest of the videos in the series. So definitely just wanted to share that here. Limited Run Games has just opened pre-orders on a vinyl soundtrack for Valis 2. The price is $60 for three LPs, and it should ship in about a year. So this is obviously... Uh, a lot more straightforward than the other vinyl pre-order I talked about this week, but it's cool. I like both. Here's just a, a more straightforward, do you want the soundtrack for this game? Awesome, here you go. Whereas the other one was a little bit more interesting. So either way, I'm glad to see more people doing this. And I hope, I just hope that the quality is always top-notch because after getting into some of the data discs vinyls, I got really excited and I listened to a couple others that um, I don't think the same attention to detail was put into it, or there could have been other things that were out of their control, you know, getting the original recordings, how do you get all that? But there's definitely been some that I thought were incredible and some that I thought were fine. So uh, I'm not still not really sure how to be able to tell which is which until after it's released, but I think if you're a fan of the game and you like the music, it's kind of a, a worthy gamble either way. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, and this week I want to talk about ordering a stencil with your PCB order. So first, why would you want a stencil? 
Well, if you have a PCB with a lot of surface mount components on it, manually soldering each component is a giant pain and takes a lot of time. So if you have a reflow oven or if you're really good with a hot air rework station, you could use a stencil to drag solder paste across just the SMD pads, use tweezers to place your components individually, and then just use heat to stick them to the board. Now, how to do that would require an entirely separate video, but if you know that that's something you want to do and if that would make your life easier, all you have to do is drag your Gerber file the same exact way you normally would into JLC PCB's website, and then select all of your options and scroll down to the bottom to select a stencil. Then if you want, you could also say if you want just the top or bottom of the PCB, or if you want one stencil for each, which of course would add a little cost because it's making two different stencils, but that's all you have to do. Also, if you're like me and you've placed a PCB order, but then forgot to make a stencil with that, you could also just have only a stencil made for you. The options are all the same as if you had added it along with the PCB. You just have to select top, bottom, or both, or one or two stencils. Also, while this does affect shipping, JLC PCB offers many different shipping options, ranging from incredibly affordable to expensive, but arrives very quickly. So absolutely, whatever shipping options for your budget, wherever it is that you're located. I'm showing options for both US and Canada here, and shipping's never going to be a problem with JLC PCB. So that's it for this time, but check out my other JLC PCB segments and previous weekly roundups for more info on how to order PCBs, how to order PCB assembly, and more info on the company. 8-Bit Mods has just opened pre-orders on a Bluetooth controller adapter for the N64. This is based off of Darth Cloud's Blue Retro project, so it's going to be one of the lowest latency Bluetooth protocols that you could find. And there's also a built-in memory pack that allows you to back up your saves via a web interface, and the web interface also has controller configuration options for button mapping and stuff like that. So if you're a fan of the N64 and you like Bluetooth controllers, this seems like an absolute must buy. Now, I do understand that the most hardcore gamers are going to want wired just because even if you get the lowest latency to con uh, controller, it's still half a frame of lag, which... I think 99.9% .9 of people could count that as zero, but there are competitive gamers and there are people that are just ultra sensitive to latency playing on a CRT and stuff like that, that might just want to go with wired. But I mean, honestly, if you're not in that 0.1%, I think this seems like a pretty cool thing to connect with your N64. So price is 30, 30 US dollars plus shipping, and it's due to ship by the end of this year. So any, uh, any other information you want, just check out the main page and place an order. Developer Adam Gastineau has begun porting SRG320's SNES core to the analog pocket. And while it's still kind of new and it has some bugs, there's already been some updates and it is very playable. So I'll go through and kind of update on where it is now, but please keep in mind that when Alex first created this post, it's already had some updates. So my information could be out of date by the time you hear it. But basically you load it up just like any other core that you would load onto the pocket. It is not a jailbreak. I'm very glad to hear members of the community stop calling it that because it is not that. It is an, a, a core that's added to their open FPGA platform. And it supports all non-special chip games, as well as SA1, SuperFX, CX4, and DSP1. Now, when it was first released, it also supported SDD1, which is 
Star Ocean and Street Fighter Alpha. However, in order to get DSP-1 to fit, something else had to be dropped. And I think at least for the short term, that was the smart move because now you could play Super Mario Kart and Pilot Wings, which I think a lot more people would be interested to try than those other two. And I don't mean any disrespect. Those are cool games too. But I just, if you're talking about numbers of people looking to play things, I think that's a fair statement. There's also two-player multiplayer support through the dock with plans of four-player support. And there are still some bugs like audio popping and things like that. But as usual, if you know how to just post any kind of bugs on GitHub, that's always appreciated so that um, developers could know where to look to fix these things. And also, the one thing you might want to note is that the geometry and aspect ratio isn't perfect. And I don't want to get into that whole square pixels versus aspect ratio thing. I think it's something that comes down to personal preference. It's not, there's not a wrong way to play it unless you're like Ian and you stretch your games to 16 by nine. It's insane. But other than that, I think when you're on a square ish screen, whatever you prefer is fine. However, just note that it's not exactly perfect yet. However, there's certainly potential for that. If you want more details on the aspect ratio, please check out Alex's post because he went into detail about all this, showed some examples, and even kind of zoomed in uh, to show some screenshots of what to expect. But overall, I just think it's very cool that, uh, that Adam was taking the time to port this over. And I think it's pretty neat for owners of the pocket because the SNES is awesome. So it's very cool to be able to just load up your ROMs and especially the special chip games to be able to play them. So thanks to uh, Adam. Thanks to Alex for writing it up. And of course, thank you to SRG320 for doing all that work a few years ago and getting all this running for us on the Mr. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these. And if you hear anything that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video or reference the post or both. Starting us out, Pierco has publicly released his core for Cosmo Police Gavilon and UFO Robo Danger. And all you need to do to get them now is just run whatever your normal updater is. No need to manually download anything. Also, the Mr. FPGA forums has added a dedicated section for cores based on older PC hardware, such as the PC XT, IBM PC, and Tandy 1000. Uh, very much looking forward to messing with Tandy 1000 stuff. That's a computer my dad had when I was a kid. I wonder if they're going to program in the, the different beeps and clicks sounds when you boot the when you boot disks on there. But uh, anyway, moving on. Also, uh, Furtech wanted to clarify that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Arcade Core will end up needing the SD-RAM module, but I still think it's very cool that it's being approached as efficiently as possible. So shout out to Furtech for just always trying to, to do some awesome stuff with these. Also, Ultimate, Ultimate Mister, which is a vendor of Mister products, is now selling a snack IEC adapter for the Commodore 64 core. And what it does is allow you to use your original Commodore 64 IEC devices, such as disk drives with the core. So if you have any original Commodore 64 disk drives, then you could use real floppy disks with the core, giving you a more authentic experience. That's pretty neat. Uh, you know, while I, absolutely, you know, just a quick aside here, I love the Mister project. Clearly, but once you're in the games you or, or software or whatever, it does feel like you're using the original, but getting up to that point is part of the experience. So being able to use original peripherals and original discs and stuff like that is just so neat. So 
thank you for making that. Even though I'm uh, I'm not a big C64 user, I still think that's amazing. Moving on, work on the Neo Geo Pocket is being concentrated on the CPU's design verification. So far, no bugs have been found, and test coverage for some modules has reached 100%. So that's awesome. That means it's just one step closer to being a very accurate core eventually to be released. Um, also, the PlayStation Core had its turbo option improved for even more speed gains, so you could check that one out, as well as Robert's continuous posts about the details on how he does these things, which are always appreciated. Um, also, the Ypsilon's option of adding custom databases to the update script uh, now has a custom database for video presets as well. So these are extra presets to change the look of your games, so I would definitely kind of go through those and see for yourself, but... I'm always loving these options. And there's also been updates to the Inferno Arcade Core, Rising, Pokemon Mini Core, and a few others. So as usual, thanks so much to Lou for doing these and for keeping up with everything that's been going on in the Mr. Scene. Uh, I certainly couldn't handle doing everything plus that, so we really rely on him for this stuff. So thanks very much, Lou, and please don't forget to subscribe to his channel. I was able to interview the legendary Chili Willy. I had spoken to Chili 10 years ago a little bit, and while I've still followed his work from before that until now, I didn't really have any chance to interact with him. And thanks to Vic, one of the 32X developers who did the Doom Resurrection game, uh, I was able to get in touch with him and do a very fun interview. The only downside was there was a storm in the neighborhood and Chili's internet kept dropping, so a lot of times we would get into good conversation and then get cut off. And while I think I did a decent enough job editing it together, every time you hear a cut, there was like 15 plus minutes between, so it was really hard to find a groove and to, to keep it rolling. So I'm going to have to do another one with Chili at some point uh, just to cover a lot of the other work that he's done that we didn't really go through, but I still think this was great. I, I had a lot of fun. I think it was a good introduction. And I think anybody that's ever tried to work on Genesis 32X or Sega CD Homebrew has stumbled across Chili's work and has probably um, been helped by either him directly or the work that he's done. So thanks very much to Chili, and I hope everybody enjoys the interview. As always, just go to your favorite app and search for Retro RGB Chili Willy, and it'll pop up. I'm on. I'm trying to be on every service possible just to make it easier for you. Um, and you know, definitely. I think a lot of devs will appreciate this one. Some updates from four layer tech. And first up is the Forever Pack 64. They are back in stock in all colors and ready to ship. And due to the part shortage and a ton of other reasons, the price has been increased by $5, which I think is totally fair considering everything going on. But there were some more changes. And the most notable one is the switch from MRAM to FRAM. So what does that mean for you? Nothing. <laughs> I mean that with love. Um, it's basically the same in that you now have a memory pack for your N64 that still does not require a battery and will never require a battery and still should perform equal to or better than the original. However, the choice in RAM was initially just for something that they were doing their research and try to fit, find what they thought would be the best fit for the project. However, with MRAM becoming really hard to find, it's super expensive when you do find it, they kind of went back to using FRAM and double and triple checked their work and it's performing exactly the same. I'm not really doing this justice. If you check out the status update that they posted over on the BitBuilt forums, they go into detail about all this stuff and it could be a lot clearer about what to expect. But basically, it's five bucks more expensive than it was 
before and performs the same. So I, I think that's a good thing overall. And also their RVL PMS Lite should be back in stock by the end of the year with the same features, but a few minor changes. And I think they made it a tiny bit bigger as well. So if you are the type of modder that wants to take a console and make it into a handheld, then you're definitely going to want to check out their status update to read more about that. Also, if you want to hear more from Shank, one of the crew members, uh, if you want to see more about the Forever Pack 64 or other Nintendo 64 related stuff, just check out all the links I embedded right in the post so you can get your full fix of N64 related stuff. Retro Gamer Store has just started production on purple SNES shells. So they're the same really high quality, clear, transparent shells that Retro Gamer Store has become known for, but now it's also available in transparent atomic purple. So if you're a fan of purple, this is definitely the one to get. Price is the same as the rest of them, and they should start shipping before the end of this year. And you could pre-order them right now through Castlemania Games, or just wait for them to appear on the main Retro Gamer Store page, which I have all of that linked here. Now, for a while, Castlemania did list purple as an option, but it was both to fulfill pre-orders and kind of sort of as an interest check. And I think Ryan was going to kind of deal with that based on how many orders he got. Is there enough to get an order of purple? And the answer is yes. So if you had placed your order, you will definitely be getting it by the end of the year, barring something crazy happening. Um, And if you would like to order one now, same thing. So this is very cool. This is what I like to see. You requested purple and then everybody stepped up to the plate and made it happen. So uh, that's very cool. I'm sure if you want any other colors or any other cases, make sure to let Retro Gamer Store know and they'll look into it. And if they have enough orders, I feel like they're ready to make pretty much whatever anybody needs as long as there's enough people to step up and buy it. Also, I'm going to make this quick because I say this every time. These are not cheap at all, but you get what you pay for. They're very high quality. They're equal to or better than the original. Uh, They come in very good quality, good condition, and all that stuff. So if you want more proof of that, please check out my other SNES clear shell pre-order to know uh, clear SNES clear shell live stream. If you'd like to know what to expect from this pre-order, I don't know how I just jumbled all that up into one, but it is a pretty cool uh, way to take a look at it. And I kind of go through and, and overly nitpick as I do, but overall, I absolutely loved it, and I continue to. So while, yep, they're definitely not cheap, um, it's worth the price if this is what you're looking to do with your old shell. And if not, if you just want to paint it, wait for these to come out, and then buy somebody's old yellow shell for almost nothing, and then do a nice paint job. Voltar just posted a pretty neat video about how to take those rechargeable battery packs for the Nintendo Wii and replace the batteries in them that no longer hold a charge or could put out the correct voltage. And it's a pretty neat concept because, first of all, if you don't own one of those yet at all, it is definitely a good idea to switch from alkaline batteries to some kind of rechargeable, both because it's better for the environment, you don't have to worry about leaving your batteries in and then having them leak out and destroy the boards. That's another thing that we always try to remind people is remove your batteries from whatever it is that they're left in, unless you're a daily user of it, because you don't want this stuff to happen. Um, but if you don't already have one of these battery packs, maybe look into Eneloops if that's what you're into, if you want multiple uses, or they still sell new charging stations for both the Wii and Wii U controllers, because they're pretty much the same anyway. 
However, Voltar's video focuses on what if you already own one of those battery packs and want to swap them out. So it's pretty neat. It's not very hard at all. You do need a, a spot welder, but those are kind of cheap. So it's one of those trade-offs where look into how much it costs to get the tools and decide, is this something that you would do more than once? And if not, then you're going to have to decide if it's cheaper to just buy a brand new recharging station, give your old one away to a modder that would fix it or to try to fix it yourself. But also, most importantly, the same logic would apply to any of these rechargeable battery pack stations that um, that replace batteries that were standard alkaline sized. So if you have any of these that the battery stopped charging, definitely check out the video. Probably could have been a little bit shorter, but, you know, Voltar's officially a YouTuber now, so it's got to hit the 10 minute mark or else he won't get his YouTube points. Well, that's it for this week. I think there may have been some audio issues this week because I was trying out the Motu ultralight mark V, which is supposed to be a step up from the m4 that i've been using and you know it's got digital inputs which is cool but i th don't think this one's right for me i think the zillion ins and outs are probably great for people in a studio or djs and stuff but i had some issues md fourier testing it and i'm not really sure that i like what it did to my voice in this one so um, I don't know. I'll keep trying. Could very well be my mistake. I'm going to keep MD Fourier testing. Uh, I'm going to keep testing out with just using my voice to record through it and guitar and stuff like that, too. But I was really hoping for like one interface to rule them all, you know, because it's got two of the microphone inputs in, in front that could also double as a guitar input. It's got digital and MIDI, both for MD Fourier and for music production. And of course, I have no use for all of these, but if at least one set of ins and outs would work with MD Fourier, that would have been great. But I don't know, maybe I'm doing something wrong, or maybe this just uh, is not the interface for people who want to do all the weird stuff that we do. But I'll keep I'll keep hacking away at it and seeing what I could do. Uh, I'll definitely put at the very least a written review just to, once I'm done. Because like I said, I could just be not learning it quite yet. I could be making mistakes, but there are weird audio issues this week. It's uh, related to that, either user error or the box itself. But anyway, as always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to people who support in any way, because without you, none of this would happen. So thank you very much, and I'll see you next week.